Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. So we talk a lot about the awful things Donald Trump did in the White House, but I think we need to be a bit more mindful of all the awful things he tried to do and failed at because of civil service guardrails that keep us from being a complete dictatorship, from going way too easy on Russia to trying to blackmail President Zelensky, from wanting to have an alligator filled moat along our southern border. So many bad ideas were thwarted and the thwarters have not gotten quite enough credit for it. Jonathan Swan did a whole piece about this on Axios recently, and apparently uh, it's all been a long term strategy of Donald Trump and his circle, this government overhaul they dream of that could possibly should they return to office, push as many as 50,000 of those career officials out of their job and move us a bit closer to authoritarianism. Now, this is something Trump tried to do late in his administration when he was pushing reclassifying thousands of federal employees as Schedule F, making them easier to get rid of. And uh, retitling them was a centerpiece of his effort. So I'm so pleased to welcome back to the show David Rothkopf, the CEO of the Rothkopf Group, uh, which is a great media company that does podcasts, including Deep State Radio, which he hosts. He was Deputy Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade Policy and Development, later served as Acting U.S. Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade. And the book he has been working on, well, the most recent book is Traitor, A History of Betraying America from Benedict Arnold to Donald Trump, which you should read. But his new book, is called American Resistance, the inside story of how the deep state saved the nation. And you can read more in Mr. Rothkopf's excellent new piece on the Daily Beast. You're going to miss the deep state when it's gone. David Rothkopf, welcome back. Good to see you. Hey, nice to be here. Thank you. And thank you for writing this piece. Uh, you know, Boris Johnson is now suggesting that the deep state is conspiring a plot to take the UK back into the EU. It seems like the language is migrating overseas. Before we go too deep into it, sir, what is the deep state? You've spent years researching it. How do you define what they call the deep state? Well, people have been identifying, you know, cabals within the government that were beyond the control of, you know, voters or or others for a long, long time. I mean, you know, the when when the country was founded, there was a fear that uh, the society of the Cincinnati, which was put together from former American Revolutionary War officers, was actually in control of the country and they were going to take it over and establish a new aristocracy. As it happened, the head of the Society of the Cincinnati was George Washington, and he then became president. So it didn't exactly kill the rumors. <laughs> um, but, you know, the people have been talking about these things, you know, ever since and not just in the U.S. In fact, the idea of the deep state, um, I think, actually originated in in Turkey, um, but it became popular here. I don't know, 10, 15 years ago when. Uh, the the far right, the kind of fever swamp right, started talking about it on like uh, Alex Jones, Infowars, 
Um, and then a guy wrote a book, a former Senate staffer wrote a book about how the deep state was going to come and, you know, sort of undermine democracy because they weren't elected by anybody else. The idea is, you know, these are career government employees. Uh, they stay when the government changes over politically. Uh, and so they have hugely disproportionate, um, uh, you know, influence, um, even though they're something like 4,500 political appointees that are put on top of them in our system to guide them one way or another. And uh, and so, you know, that that idea got picked up a lot and, in fact, really took off in like 2016 because Trump started hitting it. And in the year before that, it you know, it was wasn't mentioned often in the press, but in, right. in 2016 and beyond, you started seeing it regularly thousands of times in the press because it became a convenient scapegoat. Um, uh, and, you know, the far right has a real appetite for wild conspiracy theories. Um, the deep state, you know, I mean, the United States government, I think, has two point six million people in it. To imagine for a moment that somehow that group of people um, who are also regularly pilloried by the right for not being terribly organized are, have actually put together a, you know, a heavy conspiracy um, is, 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 is kind of <laughs> kind of ridiculous. But but, you know, nonetheless, they they, they do it. Now, now, having said that, the people who are accused of being in the deep state career civil servants, career foreign service officers, career intelligence officers, career military officers. These are some of the best people we've got. These are people who decide that they're going to devote themselves to their country, make less money than they could make someplace else, uh, and swear an oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States, which they place above all other things. Now, for Donald Trump, that was a problem because they were swearing loyalty to the country, not a party, to the Constitution, and not to him. Yes, it seemed for a long time the deep state was one of those phrases like activist judges, something you can apply to anybody who does something you don't like. It does seem that in the last year or so, the right's depiction of it has evolved from the shadow government, the secret cabal that's pulling all the strings, to now, well, as you put it in the piece, Trump's real issue with career professionals and even many of the senior officials he himself appointed was not that they reported to no one, but that instead they actually understood to whom they did report, the American people. Somewhere along the line, it shifted from the people pulling the strings to just the people pushing the paper in our government who stood up and blew the whistle on a lot of his crazy or evil schemes. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, they're not just people who are pushing the paper there. Some of these people are, you know, pretty senior level jobs. Of course, of course. And, um, uh, and, and others, um, you know, who, who also um, sort of joined this group are people that Trump appointed, but who also took the oath to the Constitution and who at some point along the way um, said, you know, I have to honor that oath first. I, I can't I can't follow the president blindly. And, you know, some of those people are people that you or I might disagree with on a huge number of things. You know, a lot of the people testifying in the January 6th committee, um, I don't agree with on, 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 on a lot of things politically. But at a certain point, they said, you know, free and fair elections are important. Democracy is important. Smooth, peaceful transition of power in the United States is important. It is so important, in fact, that I'm going to risk my career. I'm going to stand up to the president. Uh, I'm going to testify under oath what he did, you know, and, and, and often at great risk because, you know, the far right fringe, they, they don't hesitate. I'm sure you've, you've probably found it in your own, you know, do, doing what you do. Oh. Death, death, death threats and, 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 and constant attacks uh, in social media and worse are irregular. And these people, they said, no, you know, I, there's, a, there's, there's a higher issue here. Um, and you got to, you know, I mean, for example, I don't, I don't agree with anything Liz Cheney believes politically, that, n nothing practically, except that it's good that the United States is a democracy and we had a fight to keep it that way. 
And, you know, here this woman is a sense she's likely to lose her seat in Congress. Why? Because, you know, she wanted to stand up for the principle. Uh, And so I lump all these people together as sort of the deep state. And so does Donald (laughs) Trump. You know, Donald, Donald, Donald Trump does, too. And he says, I want to get rid of them. And, it's when you know, when Donald Trump took over, the, this is going to come as a big shock to you. But when Donald Trump took over the government, he didn't know anything about how governments worked. That's you right. know, I mean, he'd sort of seen it in the movies, you know, and, you know, he sort of thought that, you know, you were king and people click their heels, do whatever you say. And he discovered that that's not the way it worked. There were laws that they had to follow, regulations they had to follow, procedures that they had to follow, constitution and so forth. And he started to say, oh, well, we can't have any of that. We've got to get rid of those people. And we've got to put in place people who do whatever I want, who will be loyal to me instead of the country. And he started doing this early, by the way. You know, I mean, the, the reason he got rid of Comey at, as FBI director was Comey was not going along with what he wanted him to go along with. And, Correct. you know, by the end of the of the, the last administration, you know, there were people atop the Defense Department, people atop the Department of Homeland Security, people atop the intelligence community that had been put in their positions so that they would do what Trump said. Exactly. Nor the law. Uh, and, and by the way, I mean, just as a footnote, because I was just having a conversation with somebody about this, you know, the other day. He also did this when he realized that inspector generals in these various departments you know, had to listen to whistleblowers, he started replacing them with inspector generals. You know, now that's a, you know, that's a very bureaucratic position, but it gives a channel for whistleblowers to say something is bad is going on. And he replaced them all. And, you know, one of the ones that he replaced was the one in the Department of Homeland Security. That's right. And that guy, um, uh, you know, heard that the Secret Service had destroyed you know, records, which is against the law. And he said, yeah, I'm not going to look at that. I'm going to I'm going to cover that up. Uh, and that guy's still in the job, believe it or not. I mean, you know, they, you know, they, they, the the Biden administration has not weeded out everybody who's been put in place by Trump. Uh, and now, as you say, Trump wants if he gets reelected, he's saying I'm going to get rid of 50,000 people atop the government and 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 put in place, you know, my people. And that is yeah. that's fascism. That's, you know, yeah. dictatorship. That's people who answer to Trump and not to the voters. Yeah, it's replacing 50,000 public servants with a couple hundred blindly obedient henchmen. And that's not good for democracy and it's not good for the American people, but I was really glad in this piece in the Daily Beast that you did focus on that debate over people in the Republican Party we might not agree with who are now coming forward and trying to do the right thing. It's a spirited debate that we have with listeners here every night on the show. You know, I I often say on stage, I mean, we waited 20 years for a Cheney to get punished for telling a lie. Instead, we see a Cheney get punished for telling the truth. A lot of people are are debating whether it's uh, appropriate to give praise to these people when they get enabled Trump for so many years. I want to quote you again in the piece. You say, I would suggest that we need to be open to the idea that sometimes people with whom we do not agree with politically uh, and those who support policies we may find abhorrent are capable of doing good and that they deserve credit for it because it is in our interest that people do step up and do the right thing when the stakes are highest. I do agree. I I want to ask you, are they doing good? Some of these Republicans, because as I watch the hearings for January 6th, one thought keeps coming back to me. It's a lot of Republicans who are all testifying and Republicans on the committee itself. Are they doing it to do the right thing? Or can an argument be made that they're trying to make sure that a likely unelectable Trump is not their nominee in 2024? I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe some of them are, do, you know, I mean, are doing it because of a political reason. And maybe some of them are doing it because of personal animus towards Trump or some of the people around him. Maybe some of them are doing it for the right reason. Um, I, I hope that the majority are doing it for the right reason. Maybe some are doing it because they're afraid of going to jail. You know, they'll yeah. say, you know, they don't cooperate or they lie. They'll, they'll they'll go to jail. But whatever the reason they're doing it for, you know, 
as I, as I often say, right now, I'm a one-issue voter. My issue is preserving democracy in the United States. And the reason I'm a one-issue voter is because we're pre precariously close to losing democracy in the United States. If Donald Trump got reelected and implemented this plan, it will be over. You will not see a free and fair election again in your lifetime. Correct. Um, and, and, and so I think we need to be able to sort of, you know, not lose the narrative here. We need to be able to keep our eye on the ball and fight to preserve democracy. And if you want to have an argument with Liz Cheney later on about big government versus small government or her views on abortion or exactly. some other issue, have it later on. Because if you don't focus on, you know, harnessing the energy of people like her to preserve democracy now, you're not going to get to have any debates. You're right. I mean, she's actually a conservative from a liberal society, not a right wing cult member. You, you know, uh, we talk a lot about January 6th, of course, but you point out in this piece, the coup attempt wasn't the first time Trump tried and failed to do something illegal or at least very, very unwise. When you think about all the things that Trump tried to do and that civil servants blocked him from doing or called him out before he could do it, what stands out to you most, sir, in terms of disasters averted? Well, some, by the way, were disasters averted, and some of them were bad consequences that were made less bad. Um, but, uh, you know, that, I mean, that's the focus of this book of mine, which comes out on November 1st, although... It's no reason for your listeners not to pre-order it now. Please pre-order it. Um, uh, but, 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 you know, I look at several areas in the book. I look at, at defense. I look at uh, COVID. I look at immigration law. I look at election law and some other areas. And in each of these areas, what you discover is there was a constant battle. You know, in the foreign policy community, they couldn't talk to Trump about Russia because he was so neuralgic about Russia and being accused of having, you know, worked with Russia to get elected, um, that he wouldn't hear it. And he considered any strong step against Russia to be an attack on him. And so right. some of his closest advisors would just not invite him to the meeting. You know, they would just work around it. You know, in the defense sector, you know, D Donald Trump and, you know, uh, former Secretary of Defense Mark Esper has a book out. Uh, uh, Jim Mattis, has, has the, uh, his, his predecessor, had a book out. Um, you know, he would call up and he would say, hey, um, S Secretary Mattis, um, I think we this is the day we have to bomb North Korea. You know, and the Secretary of Defense would go, uh, yeah, interesting idea, Mr. President. It's 11 o'clock at night. Why don't we discuss that tomorrow at lunch? You know, and he would punt it and he would work the issue. He right. would regularly, regularly have meetings. And, you know, people, you know, who worked in DHS have, have reported this, but he would he regularly have meetings where he would go, you know, I think we need to build a moat at the southern border and fill it with alligators. Um, he he had, uh, and Esper has talked about this, but, but so have others that I talked to. He, he said at one point, you know, those caravans that are coming up through Mexico, let's launch missiles at them. Yes. You know, and in Mexico, let's launch missiles at Mexico. Yeah. You know, and of course, he wanted to ban Muslims from coming into the United States. And, you know, we sort of lost the, 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 that story. But what happened was a bunch of lawyers in the government said, you can't do that. You have to have a standard. What is the standard? And they, they, they managed to water the thing down to the point that he, he was furious at the end because, you know, he didn't get to have the, the thing that he and Stephen Miller so wanted. Um, uh, and then COVID came along and they used that to block people coming into the right. country. But, but, you know, the, the, my, my point and, and, and COVID is another case where, you know, I mean, we heard Trump say inject you know, bleach into your veins or 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 or, you know, this is not a real thing or use hydroxychloroquine or whatever, you know, the, the latest thing the pillow guy was saying. And the, the reality is um, 
this happened every day. Yeah. People, yeah. people wouldn't, you had heard it in the January 6th committee. People didn't want to put Trump in front of a camera during January 6th because they were almost certain he would say the wrong thing. And most of the people at the highest level of the government um, felt that their job was to, you know, keep the train from going off the tracks. And, we you know, that it, I, just, to, just to, to, to finish the point, the Congress is supposed to be the check and balance there. But they weren't doing it. The Republicans in the House were, you know, crazier than he was. And the Senate was, you know, giving him free pass. And I mean, to commit crimes, they were giving him free pass to impeachments. Mm -hmm. And um, and of course, the Supreme Court and a lot of courts were packed with his judges. And so the only guardrail we had were people at various levels of the of the federal government who were saying, no, that's against the law. You you can't do that. Um, uh, No, Mr. President, we can't launch a missile at Mexico. No, Mr. President. You can't only provide COVID relief to Republican governors. You, 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 you have to also help out the Democratic states or you can't not help California because they're Democrats, you know. <laughs> but, 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 you know, and I'm sitting here and we're like talking about it. It was every day yeah. in every department, you know, and, and, and it could have been much worse. For four years, we talked about, is there an adult in the room? But as you point out, the real response is there were many adults in many rooms who all worked together every day and were constantly on call to try to contain this madness. As you put it in the piece, in other words, we must recognize that Trump does not want to stop the deep state because it's a threat to Americans. He wants to stop it because it's one of the last things that stands between him and his desire to rule like the thugs he emulates. So I agree with you and the urgency in this work that we have to make sure that this is protected and that these civil servants are safeguarded in case he gets to power again, which leads to the million-dollar question, do you think he's actually running? Because earlier this month, you declared his political career dead in a great piece I loved in The Daily Beast, put a fork in Donald Trump, the ex-president is done. And I'm inclined to agree, but you make a very interesting point. The fact that he's flirting with actually running before we even get to the midterms shows how terrified he is. Well, you know, he's running. He wants to run because he thinks it will help protect him from prosecution, that he can say he's being politically persecuted. He wants to run because he's a con artist and he can raise millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. And he doesn't have to use it for his campaign, you know, read campaign laws. You know, he can use it for a lot of things. Um, and so it's a grift and it's a defense. Um, the, the, you know, he, he might think that he could be reelected, but every day there are more signals that he's getting weaker or his opponents are getting stronger. Mike Pence, who is a, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a little, um, you know, a sort of a, a, a cowering little sheep in the room for most of the administration. Um, Mike Pence is saying, nope, I'm done. I'm, I'm not playing this game anymore. I'm going in my own direction. Ron DeSantis beats him in polls in certain key states. Um, and, and, and I ultimately believe that Trump won't be the candidate. I, that's my personal belief. I think he, he's, we, the legal consequences of what he's done the revelations we haven't heard um, will ultimately undo him. But I have to say this, Newt Gingrich gave a speech the other day saying we need to get rid of these government bureaucrats um, and supporting this, this Trump idea. I have no reason to believe that Ron DeSantis wouldn't do the exact same thing. So getting rid of Trump is only part of the problem. The fight to preserve democracy, the fight to keep the guardrails in place uh, at every level of the government is going to go on whether Trump's there or not. That's a terrifying thought, especially considering Ron DeSantis this year was trying to have his own taxpayer funded private police force in the state of Florida. This is exactly the kind of authoritarian behavior you're talking about. Exactly. And, you know, the people he's put in to key positions on education and health care the way he's quashed data on COVID and other kinds of things. This is exactly what Trump did. It's also exactly what Stalin did. 
It's exactly what Mussolini did. And, you know, the Republicans freak out when you say, oh, you're comparing them to these 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 fascists or, or these totalitarians. That's because that's what they're doing. They're taking a page out of a book of people who saw um, democracy as a threat, who, who wanted to silence the people and make them, you know, march to their you know, the beat of their drum and theirs alone. And that's, you know, that that's that's this new class of Republicans. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's every single one of them, um, but it's Donald Trump and it's Ron DeSantis. Now, you know, it might not be Mike Pence, but want to have a conversation about Mike Pence's views towards a woman's control over her own body. <laughs> Mike Pence seems to think he'll be very popular amongst people who wanted to hang him, uh, as we forget that he probably would not have been reelected governor of Indiana at the time of uh, 2016. Right. And and no, Mike Pence is a religious extremist, you know, and so is Mike Pompeo. So, you know, what does that leave you with? Josh Hawley? You know, it I mean, leaves you with a Ron DeSantis. I mean, and that's why it's very interesting if Trump does announce soon, because a a way to possibly forestall indictments, b of course a way to grift more money from the supporters. But you're right about the polling showing DeSantis pulling ahead, and it seems establishment GOP has anointed DeSantis the successor already, much to the ire of Trump and some of his supporters. So, do you, Professor, see him actually running and taking on DeSantis in a primary debate season? Because I'll, I'll get popcorn. I'll, I'll come up to Columbia with popcorn if that happens. Me, me too. I hope, you know, Liz Cheney is there. Um, I was saying to some friends earlier, you know, I, I, I just like to see her be on that stage to challenge each one of these people for the stuff that they've been doing. But, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly how it's going to play out if, if, if Trump is indicted. I'm not sure what the political consequences of that are if he's indicted in Georgia, and then he's indicted by the Department of Justice. You know, at a certain point, people in his own party are going to say, we're not writing checks. And that, by the way, has started yeah. to happen. That's already started. And and, uh, and so, you know, th- th- you know, he's not going to write his own check, right? That's not, that's not how the grift works. And so I think at that point, you know, um, he, you know, he may not get the message until he loses a couple of primaries, but he's going to lose some primaries. And then mm-hmm. and then he's going to then he's going to be out of the picture or declare himself a third party candidate, oh, which, yeah. by the way, now there's a like, you know, we're talking here and it's pretty gloom and doom. But if you want a scenario that can lift you up and lift your spirits, <laughs> throughout what I the talk day, about every night. Yes, sir. You know, the scenario is Trump. Is held accountable. The party wants to move on without him. He doesn't want to let him. They pick a candidate and he says, no, I'm going to run as a third party candidate. He splits the Republican vote. And, you know, Joe Biden gets reelected or whomever the Democrats run gets elected. And and, you know, Donald Trump actually does in the Republican Party as they so richly deserve to be done in. Yes, I, I've always said for a while, I don't know if Joe Biden can be elected president, but I do think Donald Trump can get Joe Biden elected president. Um, I, I can't wait to see. The speculation's fantastic. And honestly, watching Trump in a debate primary season on a stage facing possibly Pence and Pompeo and DeSantis and maybe even Tucker Carlson and berating them along with Nikki Haley for their obedience to him for four years, and we already know if he loses primaries, what a gracious loser he is and how uh, easily he would endorse the winner. It would be an amazing, amazing thing to witness and well, ultimately you, very positive for democracy. You're going to get a preview, right? Because Donald Trump has guided the party and he's made some great decisions. He's guided them towards Mehmet Oz as the candidate in Pennsylvania. He's mm-hmm. guided them towards Herschel Walker as the candidate in He's guided them towards J.D. Vance as the Thank candidate, you, you know, uh, in Ohio, Carrie Lake in Arizona. And so these yep. people are cuckoo, incompetent, can't win, gonna lose. You know, 
I'm very wary about making predictions since I was on TV a lot in 2016 talking about the inevitability of Hillary Clinton's victory. Um, but, but you know, you know, and say, you know, Donald Trump can win. Take it from me. I really know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but, 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 but I have to say the Republicans should win in a midterm election, particularly with the economy doing what it's doing, the Senate, the House back. I think they're going to end up losing the Senate by more than they, they're behind now. I, I think there's a bunch of critical seats because Trumpian characters like Herschel Walker, who who needs care, you know, I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want to be agree. like, you know, condescending. This guy's got a problem. He needs yeah. some help. He shouldn't be a Senate candidate. He shouldn't be getting that help through the Senate health care plan. But mm-hmm. you know, the the idea that they're running this this guy as as a as a senator. I mean, it's crazy, but, you know, Mehmet Oz, I mean, I don't know if you've been watching. Did you see the Stevie Van Zandt? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I've, I've worked with Dr. Oz before. I mean, but this is Donald Trump's true ethnicity is celebrity. So a J.D. Vance, a Dr. Oz, a Herschel Walker, even Carrie Lake, who I met years ago um, when she was an anchor at the Fox affiliate in Phoenix. I, I, I met her a couple years ago. He goes for the shiny thing. He goes for other celebrities. He thinks that means ratings. That means popularity. And that means truth. I think that Donald Trump's poor judgment in picking this field, if nothing else, reminds me of the Republican field for Senate in 2012. The Todd Akin legitimate rape years when there were so many just rank unelectable people. It helped Obama tremendously in his second election. Right. And I think that's the thing. The Republican Party thinks this is its base. They've moved to sort of the illogical extreme um, and I, you know, I think they're doing themselves a lot of damage and it couldn't happen to a nicer bunch of people. Well, David Rothkopf, it is a great pleasure to have you with us. The book is not coming out until November. That's going to be called American Resistance, the inside story of how the deep state saved the nation. You can pre-order that and you should. In the meantime, the new piece in Daily Beast is essential. As soon as I read it, I called this gentleman and begged him to come on. Uh, the piece is called You're Going to Miss the Deep State When It's Gone. Mr. Rothkopf, it's always a great pleasure. Please come back and see us again. I'd love to. Thanks a lot. Thank you. We'll be right Bye-bye. back. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Bob Seska's here, host of The Bob Seska Show, one of the best political podcasts you can listen to. Mr. Seska, sorry we got held over, but we were talking about uh, Brittany Griner, and I was trying to explain to someone that it's not nice to put someone in a cage for having flower oil. Yeah, if I had my time-traveling DeLorean, I would go back in time to the previous segment and participate. Is what, what, <laughs> what would you would have do? said? As you could tell Bruce was a nice guy. I'm not, you know, yeah, not going to yeah. call him any names. You could tell he's a nice guy. He's saying she mm-hmm. broke the law. She knew, and she knew the lower law. And we don't know for a fact that she knew it was illegal. I'm not right. disputing she broke it. My whole thing is it was a little thing that she took for her muscles, and you put her in a cage for months, and her yeah. wife has been horrified for months. I, I think the punishment is more than fit the crime. Oh, God damn. Absolutely. There shouldn't be any question about this. I have no idea what this guy, maybe he still got some of that hash left over. <laughs> that's, what's, that's what's motivating him. I don't know. I can't explain it. I, 
if Bob, if Bad I boy. had my time, if I had my time machine, and I could go back to last week when you joined us on the show, um, mm-hmm. I would ask you a question a week ago, which would be, Bob, a week from tonight, what would surprise you more? Knowing that Merrick Garland has an active criminal inquiry into Donald Trump, or mm-hmm. knowing that Chuck Schumer has been secretly negotiating a deal with Joe Manchin all this time, and they're going to spring it on the Republicans after passing the chip to bill into law and just completely yeah. pull the rug out from McConnell. Uh, which of those two would you have found more unlikely a week ago? Um, probably the mansion Schumer thing, because I had lost and I think I've said on this show, I'd lost all hope in mansion doing anything worthwhile, uh, at least for Joe Biden's agenda, uh, passing something like this, which is really an incredible achievement if it actually makes it past the parliamentarian, which is our yeah. last little asterisk in this process. <laughs> the, the parliamentarian has to approve yes, this. The, the unelected Senate parliamentarian. Bill. But it was the parliamentarian yeah. who came out last year and said we would have an extra reconciliation bill opportunity this year. And I will tell yeah. you, I thought it was dead as disco. I'm completely mm-hmm. shocked. A, that they got mentioned to go along with this much. B, that they kept it a secret until after yeah. the chip bill was signed because McConnell threatened to kill the chip bill if there was going to be a reconciliation i mean they sucker punched mitch mcconnell today they mm-hmm. they did a positively republican move behind his back i'm deeply oh, yeah. impressed at at how uh clandestine it all was we've got huge deficit reduction in this further embossing the concept that the democratic party is now the party of being fiscal hawks of of deficit reduction which is pretty uh, monumental, uh, momentous. But the other thing is there are so many other aspects of this legislation, if it gets passed, if the parliamentarian allows it, that are so immensely groundbreaking. We're talking about a 40 percent reduction in carbon emissions over the next eight years. And it says, you know, it's funny when they write these bills and they put the bullet points out, it says 2030, which makes it sound like it's in the distant future. But that's only eight years from now. And given the fact that the entire world is on fire at this point, it couldn't come soon enough. And a 40 percent reduction in carbon emissions and the money being spent on this effort is unprecedented. There has never been environmental spending at this level ever. And so finally, we've got something that may actually meet the crisis, which is kind of groundbreaking. And then on top of that. They're going to pay for not only the deficit reduction, but they're going to pay for this, uh, the environmental aspect of this, the carbon emissions aspect of this by charging a minimum 15 percent tax on corporations that earn profits of over a billion dollars. That's right. If this legislation passed the days of Amazon paying a zero percent tax on their profits are gone. The same with Google and all the rest of the gigantic monolithic corporations that get away with not paying it's potentially any taxes. So that's huge. Done. It's potentially huge. And even Dick Durbin, yeah. the majority whip, didn't know about it. That's what's so remarkable. Uh, and speaking of things we didn't know about that have been in play, Merrick Garland. Yeah. The same day his Lester Holt interview airs on NBC, multiple sources leaked to the Washington Post that there is a criminal inquiry Mm-hmm. of Donald Trump. It seems like Joe Manchin and Merrick Garland have been reading the tweets, Bob. I'm sorry. I think they've actually... I, I began the show talking about the ANC slogan, keep the pressure on, and I keep seeing it. I'm sorry, but I, I keep hearing how awful everything is, but I can't be a cynic because it's the ordinary people who are protesting and getting arrested or just signing petitions or writing letters or going online and using their social media that we're actually seeing the needle move with both Manchin and with the Attorney General. Yeah. And uh, I think this was in the works for a while now. Um, And if there was some sort of activist element to this uh, motivating the Department of Justice to take a hard look at Donald Trump and his henchmen, it had to have been last year, because what we know now and also what has been reported over the past six, seven months is that, yeah, there has been a grand jury, at least one grand jury, possibly two or three grand juries impaneled in the District of Columbia where they're investigating aspects of uh, Trump, his his inner circle. Uh, and obviously we know when we've known for a while they've been investigating and indicting and, and prosecuting all of the. Uh, you know, all of the the foot soldiers uh, of the insurrection. Mm -hmm. But we also know that there's a couple of tracks that have been aimed directly at Trump and his people. We know for a fact that Peter Navarro back in February received a subpoena from a grand jury 
asking for all of his communications with Donald Trump. And so that that reaches back as far as the reporting goes, and it could go back even further than that. But based on what we know from the papers of record, the New York Times, Washington Post, is that this grand jury, at least one of these grand juries was looking into Donald Trump, was inside the White House, so to speak, as early as this past February. And as we've seen since then, there have been other indicators showing that this grand jury is taking a hard look. And now this reporting from Carol Lenning and her team at the Washington Post is so huge. It's so huge on so many levels, not only for the rule of law and for holding the president, the ex-president accountable, which is unprecedented in the history of the Republic. No No former president has ever been investigated at this level, certainly not prosecuted and convicted ever. Never. And I think what we're looking at is the very real possibility of an actual prosecution of Donald Trump. And not only on one track, but there are a couple of different tracks that they're looking at that both involve Donald Trump. The first one is the seditious conspiracy, conspiracy. which we've heard so much about. This involves also the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys and the whole plot to overthrow Congress on one six, et cetera, the things that led up to it, the rally at the ellipse and the planning behind that. And then the other track. I'm sorry, is, but if I may, this uh, if I just build on what you said, this is yeah. why they've already indicted two of the different leaders of the Proud Boys uh, mm-hmm. who didn't even breach the Capitol. Rhodes and Tario right. never breached the Capitol, but they were so involved in the planning. And I thought, hmm, well, it's very telling that they're having these high profile indictments of these two Proud Boys who never actually got their hands dirty per se. And it seems like mm-hmm. that was precedence for going to the top of the food chain. Should they choose to do that? Please go ahead. Number two, the second. Track. Number two. I know what you're going to say the fake electors scheme. And this is also something that we have heard bits and pieces about in the news in uh, the same papers, New York Times, Washington Post, over the past several months that the Department of Justice was taking a serious look at the fake electors scheme. And now they're expanding that probe into the realm of Donald Trump himself. That's the entire point of this uh, unbelievable Washington Post piece. I mean, the, the headline of this Washington Post article could be the title of a chapter in a history book that your kids' kids will actually be studying at some point in school because it's it's difficult to emphasize how momentous this is, as I was saying before, and it's going to change the life uh, and legacy of Merrick Garland forever, the life and legacy of Joe Biden forever. Yep. And in particular, remember this name, Matthew Graves. He is the U.S. attorney in Washington, D.C., and he's at the center of all of this. And you know for a fact that the Red Hat Entertainment Complex, their eye of Sauron, <laughs> is now squaring in you know, laser focused on both Merrick Garland and Matthew Graves. This is going to be a feeding frenzy. And in that regard, thank God Merrick Garland has been nonpartisan in his public statements that he has played this on the level at every stage. He's not screwing around with uh, political red meat anywhere. So they're going to have a really difficult time going after Merrick Garland on the substance of what he's doing and who he is. Obviously, Donald Trump is going to be, oh, it's a hoax. It's a wish hunt. The same nonsense that we've been hearing. Plus, Donald Trump, of course, is going to attempt to run out the clock on this. He's try, he's going to try to push it uh, as far along as po- I mean, uh, push the proceedings as long as possible so that maybe he'll get a Republican president in 2025 who will pardon him. And maybe that Republican president is Trump himself. Who knows? Whoever it's going to be, that Republican, we can guarantee the fact that if a Republican wins in 2024, inaugurated in 25, one of the first things they will do is to pardon Donald Trump. So the clock is ticking. And that's the thing that makes me bite my nails and lose sleep more than anything else when it comes to these investigations. Uh, Me me too. And again, I don't think Trump can be elected president again, but I do think he could manage to get a Democrat elected president again uh, Uh, if if it goes the right way with DeSantis. Um, But when you look at this former president who's already escaped two impeachments, uh, who is still so central to the future of his party, burning through donor money, mm-hmm. not having any kind of coherent policy agenda. That speech yesterday was just crazy. Um, it, it's Two things are clear to me. One is that the DOJ has been really 
very quiet on this investigation, and it's going, been going on for months. They got the Meadows records back in April. But also, I mean, we just got news right before the show that the RNC has told Trump if he runs for president, they're going to stop paying his legal bills. So, wow. <laughs> I mean, Trump's in trouble. The guy's got a lot of problems. And I do think that um, he can still hurt the country a lot. But, Bob, was it, is, what is this about? Is it more important to get Trump or is it more important to damage the infrastructure that could ever allow this to happen again? I think it's important to do both. Um, I'm a little more hawkish, I think, than you are when it comes to the possibility of Donald Trump becoming president again. I think there's Mm -hmm. still a real shot. If you see him at his rallies and you listen to what his fanboys are saying, uh, whether it's in person or whether it's uh, all across the AM radio dial on the Internet, on YouTube, et cetera, it's pretty scary and it's still pretty fever pitched at this point. Oh, I know. And we still know our, our red state legislatures yeah. are, are, are ginning up the system so they can steal elections from the popular vote. We know it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely yeah. true. Yeah. But when I see Trump threatening to sue CNN, Bob, threatening mm-hmm. to sue CNN for calling the big lie the big lie, <laughs> I'm yes. sorry. It tells me that the guy's cracking. There's no game mm-hmm. there. Yeah, I love that. He's playing from uh, James O'Keefe's playbook, weaponizing slap suits to silence his critics who are mean to him on TV. So it's you know what? It's so the great irony. And this is kind of a tangent, John. But the great irony is this guy who comes off as this alpha tough guy, the you're fired guy, the guy who's portrayed as Rambo. As soon as people start talking about him on CNN and saying things that he doesn't like, He's got to sue them because he's yeah. such a whiny diaper baby. Thank but you. anyway, so it's <laughs> it, it's still very possible that he's going to run. Although, given the news from yesterday, I will say that I'm not nearly as hawkish I am, uh, hawkish as I was uh, prior to this news. I think this may dissuade him from running because knowing the Department of Justice is breathing down his neck on several fronts, not just on one thing, means that he's going to need whatever's left over in the Save America America PAC checking account. (laughs) That's money that he's going to require over the next several months for sure. And uh, in particular, John, you know, I'm looking forward to most is uh, waking up one morning, turning on Twitter and uh, seeing the news that Donald Trump has been greeted with a pre-dawn raid by <laughs> up in Bedminster or down in Mar-a-Lago. Oh, Take your pick. It doesn't matter. Ah, pre-dawn raids all around. Oh, yeah. it's like porn for moral people. <laughs> uh, Bob, before I let you go in our last in our last 30 seconds, and by the way, moral people like porn too, in our final yes. 30 seconds, um, <laughs> should we be at all surprised that Donald Trump is suing someone who's not a small contractor that worked for him? I'm not used to Trump punching up. Going after CNN is not his playbook. He usually goes after the little guy not the big i mean time warner can afford a lot more lawyers than donald trump in our last 20 seconds your thoughts on that well again i I think this is one of those things where he's just got to punish anyone who's mean to him he's just so fragile so brittle with his ego no matter how much bravado and how much bluster he's got on the stage as soon as the doors are closed He starts crying. He's got to sue. Sue everybody. He's like Saul Rosenberg from the Jerky Boys. Sue everyone. Sue sue everyone. Sue everyone. With his shoes and his glasses. Punitive damages. You're paying me. Bob, how do we follow you? How do we follow uh, you on the socials? (laughs) You can follow my podcast at bobseskashow.com. Great, great conversation with Donna Halper today about uh, Rush lyrics in particular. Oh, brilliant. Great to see you, Mr. Seska. We'll be right back with your calls. This is Progress. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. 
Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Ah, uh, sorry. I get worked up about the fake Christians. I really do. I just... I've said it before. The gruesome, preventable mass shooting stories are now going to be packaged with the gruesome, preventable abortion horror stories. Sila in Texas. How are you? <laughs> Hey, John, I'm cracking up. You're so passionate about my neighbors. And if they only knew. (laughs) Listen, I I am here to debate what's in the Bible with any of these Philistines. I will go on any conservative shows, any conservative TV. I've been on Fox News so many times. I'm happy to debate this with any of these people. They can go ahead and and want to take these rights away. They can dream of an America where you can rat out someone because they're crossing state lines, but they don't get to claim it's Christian. That's my only point. Go ahead and hate women all you want. Make poor women suffer with more poverty. Just don't pretend you're a fucking Christian. Don't put up a tree in your house once a year and claim you followed the religion my parents followed. I'm done with it. I'm not going to let them do it. Don't let them. Good. Good for you. And <laughs> Thank you're, you. You're, I'm, you know, I wish you could come out here and like go in secret in one of these little churches. I mean, there's like one, I don't know, every mile out here where I live and yeah. hear what they're saying because I know what they're saying. And uh, Yeah, I do too. I do too. You know, it's uh, it's crazy what they're saying. And now everybody knows it because they're saying it out loud now. And I'm kind of glad about that. Yeah. A little bit. You know. Well, I mean, we'll see. I really am because we'll see because you know, the majority of Christians, and, the majority of Christians in this country do support abortion rights, and they got to speak up more. They have to. They just have to. But yeah. I was telling, calling to tell everybody, don't trust Mansion. Don't get just don't trust them for nothing. And I want to say boo to Bruce number one and shout out and all the love to Bruce number two. Look at you. You remember our Bruce's. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it could be a good thing or a bad thing. But I was really calling out Brittany Griner because from day one, I mean, and also this started like a week after, a week before, actually, uh, the Russians invaded Ukraine. Yes. So she is a political prisoner. And yeah. that is what she is. And I'd never have believed she had anything on her. And I want to know if Bruce, number one, knew that there was a, like a 60-year-old white dude they were holding to, and would he feel the same way? Well, no, he wouldn't you know. care because Mr. Whalen is not being held for cannabis. Again, it's the double standard when it's the black person in weed, you know. Right, right. And My whole point is oh I don't God. care about the law. She's been in jail for five months. All she had was a couple oh, of canisters. Totally. Yeah. And the first, her first hearing, she had a, a, a Jimi Hendrix T-shirt on for that hearing. And I'm like, there is no way that girl got, first of all, she couldn't choose what she wanted to wear because she's in fucking Russia. But that was, yep. that was, uh, you know, trying to make her look like, you know, something. But anyway, uh, <laughs> in my little teeny, in my little teeny tiny little Republican place where I live, I, I had an old, old NBA T-shirt, and I altered it, and it now says uh, WNBA and Brittany Griner. And when I go to the grocery store, I wear that sucker because I'm just waiting for some idiot to nice. ask me about it, and I will nice. tell them. Look at you. Hey, really anyway. quick, I want to play, let me play a really quick clip, just 15 seconds going to break. This is Secretary of State Blinken telling reporters that we have presented an offer to Russia for the release of Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan, A4. We put a substantial proposal on the table weeks ago to facilitate their release. Our governments have communicated repeatedly and directly on that proposal. And I'll use the conversation to follow up personally and, I hope, move us toward a resolution. Oh, he didn't have the end, but Blinken ended by saying, and you bitches better not piss me off. That's how he ended it. So that gave me a lot of hope. Mm. Sila, got to run, but thank you for your call. Quick break. We'll be right back. This is Sirius XM. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. 
Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Let me get to some more calls. Marsha in California, thank you for your patience. Hi, it's wonderful to hear your voices. I'm calling into Kansas today, and I think I was talking to the wrong person, but he said that he hopes I die a long and painful death. And it took me aback because usually people don't treat strangers like that, right? Now, was this but a pro-life I, person, a pro-life person wishing you a <laughs> slow and painful death? I know, right? Yes. Yeah. Kansas is really, it's amazing what's happening right now. We want to know how the world's going to, how the country's going to feel about Roe v. Wade. Look no further than Kansas, which, you know, had abortion rights enshrined in their constitution, and y'all are going to vote to see if you're going to keep it. That's, I mean, that's Kansas right. is going to vote. Go ahead. Right, exactly. And Kansas is, was a free state. I, I didn't know this till I looked it up on the internet, of course, but it's, a, it's called a free state, and bodily autonomy is enshrined in the constitution because of the slaves who escaped the, the red states, you know, the slave states, and came to Kansas to be free people. So, yeah, it's been in the Constitution for quite some time. And, uh, and it might all change. So that, yeah. that's my big fear. And I, I do tend to get into it with people. And, you know, I heard the woman talking about the family in, in Iowa. And it's like, yeah, it's so frightening now. Yeah, it's terrifying. Well, thank you for being willing to suffer the abuse of horrible fake Christians uh, and standing up for women's well, rights, Marsha. Well, well, thank you for that. I also have wonderful phone calls, like the, the man who was 99, and um, he he was so sweet and gentle. I, I promised to call him in a week, and he said, oh, good, then I'll know I'm still alive. <laughs> oh, you're doing the Lord's work. Thank you. Thank you, Marsha. Let us Thank let us you. know how the campaign the goes. Oh, Absolutely. not me. I feel the same about you. Thank you. No, no. Uh, Leanne does the Lord's work. I just play air hockey with Satan. <laughs> but thank you. By the way, uh, speaking of abortion rights, Matt Gates. You might have heard. Matt Gates, who should be in jail for child sex trafficking. Matt Gates came out and uh, was insulting women um, by saying anyone who, all these women who fight for abortion rights are, what did he say? They're like so ugly, they look like a thumb or something? Like it was, he was speaking at Turning Point was, USA, so it was all very misogynist. I'm, I'm, I'm summarizing, but he was making that old chestnut of, uh, oh, these women are out here fighting for abortion rights are so ugly, who'd want to sleep with them to begin with? Yeah, kind you know, like thing, a feminist, kind of the whole, yeah. like Donald Trump. So she was too ugly to rape, you know? So, uh, they, they, Leon, I wanted to say this for the end. Uh, reporters gave we Matt a chance to revise his misogynist Turning Point USA comments about abortion activists. And this is it. He doubled down and doubled down again. I want to warn you, this is like um, peak white male mediocrity turned up to 11. It's, it's like smoking crank of mediocre white men. Explain what you said and what you meant by that. Well, I'm very pro-life, and I make no apology for it. And I'm grateful that Roe has been overturned and that Dobbs is now the jurisprudence on abortion. And I find these people who go out in these pro-abortion, pro-murder rallies odious and just like ugly on the inside and out. And I make no apology for it. I, uh, I don't believe that every person who disagrees with my perspective on life is an ugly person. But the ones that are out there protesting and marching outside Justice Kavanaugh's home, trying to threaten the court, um, trying to impose a night of rage on our nation's capital, which is what they advertised, that's just, uh, it's just pure ugliness. And I see that ugliness on the inside. I see it on the outside. You know, even in, in, in the horrible circumstances circumstance where an abortion may happen, it is nothing to celebrate and it is nothing to cheer. Mm -hmm. Is it safe to say that based off of your comments, you're suggesting that these women at these abortion rallies are ugly and overweight? Yes. What do you say to people who think that those comments are offensive? Be offended. That was Rapey McForehead. 
mocking the physical appearance of other people. Wow, because ad hominem attacks are so mature. Yeah. Really proves your point. Yeah. Wow. Whew. Wow. Uh, yeah. I, he I, looks I, like I need a shower now. I need a shower. Look, look, it's not his fault. He looks like a Pez dispenser full of Rohypnol. But. <laughs> oh! Yeah, you win. Yeah.